0: Have you ever felt powerless? When I was 14 years old, we had a family friend who was selling land out in Prince William County. And we were given the right to harvest a bunch of trees. And these trees would end up being used for slabs of wood, dimensional lumber, some of it firewood. But what this meant is we ended up felling about 15 to 20 trees. And there was one particular tree that just didn't want to play kind of along with our game plan. And so we start cutting this thing. And as it's falling, it starts twisting and it gets caught up on the tree right next to it. And while this is happening, my dad suddenly realizes that his pickup truck is now in the line of fire. Basically where this tree is going to fall is right where his truck is. And so he looks at me, 14 years old and says, Brian, go move the truck. And at 14, you know what my dad said, I did. He If he said, jump, you asked how high. I, so I just ran. I didn't think about it. I jumped in the truck. And at 14, I'm Trying to grind these gears, it's manual transmission. I've never driven manual transmission, so I'm grinding these gears, trying to get out of the way. And Before I can move the truck, that tree falls 40 feet from where I was sitting. I don't know about your parenting skills or kind of your priorities as a parent, but in hindsight, I'm kind of thinking, okay, this wasn't the best decision. Throw your 14-year-old in the line of where a tree is falling. But hey, all ended well. But what I realized in that moment, I was completely powerless. The tree was going to fall where it was going to fall, and I didn't have the skills or ability to move that truck. I had absolutely no power. Have you ever felt powerless? That whole scenario was completely out of my control. It may not feel like you have power, but God has something you need, and we'll get to that in just a moment. See, the Bible talks as if Hesed is all around us. It's mentioned over 250 times in the Hebrew Bible. But if it's all around us, why don't we see it transforming our world? Why does it seem to show up only in little glimpses at my school, at work, in my marriage, or with my kids? I don't need glimpses. I need like this big old gift to drop down in my lap. Last week, we talked about how Naomi shut down. She just gave up when crisis hit. And then we talked about Ruth. She extended hesed despite the risks. Ruth took radical action. It was the opposite of a natural human response. Today, we're going to talk about true power. We've spent a lot of time talking about Ruth during this series, but as I read, I noticed the juxtaposition between Ruth and Boaz. Now, at first glance, Ruth seems powerless, and Boaz holds all this power. But there's much more to it than that, and I believe it helps us answer the question of why hesed seems inactive in our lives. Now, this is a little bit of a side tangent, came up recently, but have you ever known somebody who's just too nice? Like annoyingly nice. They're always happy. They're always friendly. They're always over the top. I've actually ended friendships with people because they were too nice. They got under my skin. Well, a couple weeks ago, John did a Q&R, a question response about hesed. And someone there asked, and I'll paraphrase it in my own words, what I took away from it. Can a non-Christian have hesed? I like this question. I know a lot of people who aren't Christians, but they're nice. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, I've been frustrated by so many Christians who aren't living out Hesed. It seems like the ones who should don't and the ones who don't need to do. I think the risk and where the nice people comes into this is to boil Hesed down to doing good, to being nice. That's not what Hesed is. See, doing good was actually seen as something else in Jewish tradition. It's seen as tzedakah. Tzedakah refers to a religious obligation to do what is right and just. And I believe Hesed goes further. And I think we'll see this in our story today as we get to Boaz. Now, by way of reminder, Naomi has resigned herself to her bitter lot. Remember, God the Almighty, who could have prevented all of this, has cursed Naomi in her own words. Ruth instead takes action. She does something, and her loyalty becomes life-giving to Naomi. Ruth proposes a plan, and she provides for Naomi. She goes out into the fields and begins gleaning, collecting grain from what the harvesters drop. And real subtly, the author tells us that the field she comes to is going to have major ramifications. It's a God coincidence. Just as Ruth gets to work, the almighty God who can do anything begins working on their behalf. And at this point in the story, Ruth doesn't know that, though. She's simply doing the only thing within her power. While Ruth gleans, Boaz returns from the city to check on the status of his workers. And then he notices a foreigner in his field. Now, it's possible that she's wearing the mourning clothes of a widow. But she also looks and speaks differently than other Israelis. In other words, she stands out. Boaz immediately asks his foreman to tell him who she is. And the foreman fills in all the details. This gives Boaz an understanding of who she is, and this is how he responds. Ruth 2, verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Now, my daughter is the same way Naomi refers to Ruth. It may indicate the difference in Ruth and Boaz's age. She might be a good bit younger than him. And he says, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Essentially, he's ensuring a stable food source for her. And then he invites her into his community. He says, stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Ruth falls with her face to the ground and says to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? Why do you care about me? I'm a stranger from another land. Boaz recognizes something in Ruth. She made a great first impression on him. And so he responds by going above and beyond. As the landowner He makes special concessions for her and promises her safety. It's important to note that the text tells us that these actions, what he does by providing for her, by caring for the poor, the widow, the foreigner, are not chesed. Let's look at Ruth verse 10 again. Ruth doesn't ask, why have I found chesed in your eyes? She asks, why have I found chen in your eyes? Two different Hebrew words with different meanings. Chen refers to favor. Ruth finds favor, not faithfulness in Boaz. Now, this is completely unexpected. No one expects a man with such great influence in the time of the judges when men did what was right in their own eyes to treat a powerless woman with such favor. Typically, when a man of position encounters a powerless woman, what does he do? He takes advantage. This is the story of so many men in the Bible and unfortunately so many men today that men tend to see and take without repercussions. But here, Boaz uses his position of influence to extend favor to Ruth. There are rules on Israel's books to care for the widow, the poor, the foreigner. He doesn't follow the letter of the law. He follows the spirit of the law. He goes well above and beyond. Look at what he does. He takes from the field and says, take whatever you want. Stay here in this field. He lets her join the women working in the field rather than remaining an outsider. He commands his men not to harm her, literally in the Hebrew, not to touch or molest her. He offers her water that's been drawn by his men. She doesn't have to lift a finger for it. Later on, he would offer her not just enough food for the day, but he would give her enough to care for her and Naomi. She actually ends up not taking fistful of grain home that she's gleaned, but 40 to 50 pounds of food. Can you imagine that? No wonder Naomi later on in the chapter is just shocked by the overwhelming favor that Ruth has found. The letter of the law says let them glean. The spirit of the law says feed them. Boaz is using his position of influence. He's granting permission to Ruth well beyond what was expected. Now, if you remember back to Ruth 2, verse 1, the author is given some clues that this situation will not be a typical one. It says in Ruth 2, 1, Boaz is a gibor ha'il, a man of ha'il, and that ha'il is very important. I know we're getting into a lot of Hebrew. Try to keep up. There's a lot of, of nuance and a lot of flexibility in the Hebrew language. So we, we have this juxtaposition of ha'il and chesed. Some translations of ha'il have it this way in English, a worthy man. Boaz is a mighty man of wealth, a man of great wealth and influence, a man of of might, a prominent man of noble character, a man of outstanding character. You get in the picture. Boaz is a great guy who's got some amazing position and power. He's got influence and affluence. He's got these fields and all this stuff at his disposal. Ha'il is used 85 times as an attribute of people in the Bible. Here's the key difference. It typically designates individuals who have a position of influence that allows them to implement or bring about God's purposes. Their skills, their abilities, their possessions, their virtuous character, give them what is needed to do God's work. This is Boaz. He is a man of position, affluence, and influence. He has fields, workers, workers who also follow his unusual instructions. He's made a name for himself. Which is why later on in chapter 4, he quickly pulls together the leaders and judges of the city to rule in his favor. But he's missing something important. It was the year 2000, my senior year in high school, and my family had hit a really hard patch. After 32 years of marriage to an alcoholic, my mom hit her breaking point. She was done. My dad went out one day for work, and we packed up and moved out. This was a scary day. Uh, He'd called her bluff for years, threatened for years, and then one day we'd just do it. We didn't know what would happen. We didn't have a lot of money, nor a lot of time. So my mom found a lady from church that would put us up in a room. And for the next three to four months, we would house hop, go from place to place. One place we found ourselves was this beautiful historic house in Old Town Manassas. This home at one point had been used as a place to support women in crisis. How fitting. It seemed like a perfect match. After about one week there, we noticed some things were a little off. The house was owned by an older lady who lived there alone in this six-bedroom house, of which we were able to rent one room to share. As we came and went For work, school, church, other activities, you could tell we were kind of disrupting her normal quiet routine. And after about two weeks, she actually sat us down to air her grievances. And by week three at this place, she was rather disgruntled. We found ourselves sitting in the living room one evening, my mom and I on the couch and this lady across from us in a chair, having a difficult conversation that we needed to find a new place to stay, like it wasn't working out. And at 17 years old, my frustration kind of bubbled up and... As respectfully as I could, for fear of our next situation, I I tried to explain what was going on and why we needed to stay there. My comments were met with this. Excuse me, son. You don't speak to your elders. Like, that was it. I was done. I was voiceless. I was powerless. There was no more I could say. What had happened? She had position. She had influence and the ability to help, but she lacked something critical. Let's look back to Ruth for a second. Ruth seems powerless. She's husbandless, childless, effectively orphaned, poor, a foreigner. We don't even know where her and Naomi were sleeping. Her low position is emphasized by her need to glean, which was a public display of poverty and a source of shame. But she has something Boaz needs, something Boaz doesn't have. With all of his high his position and his affluence, he was still lacking something. Like the lady in the story and own this house. There's great potential to change someone's life, but something's lacking. What does Ruth have that Boaz does not? Boaz has Hail. Ruth has Hesed. Hail without Hesed will never change a life. This is actually what grabs Boaz's attention. Ruth 2, verse 11. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He looks back to Ruth 1, 16 and 17, where she's promised and committed herself to Naomi and to God. Ruth and Boaz represent a marriage between Chesed and Chael. Boaz has Chael. Ruth has Hesed. He's got position and affluence and influence. Ruth has power. They're the perfect match. They're the original power couple. Catch this. Boaz, with all his influence and position, never leverages it for maximum impact. He's comfortable and secure with where he is. In fact, there's no mention of Boaz before this, and it seems like without Ruth in the picture... He never would have been part of history. Without Hesed. even a person with position will not change the world. Hesed is mentioned three times in this book. Only once does it apply to a person, that's Ruth. The other two times it applies to God. Boaz didn't have Hesed. He had position. But he didn't have true power. We get a front row seat to this all the time. How many leaders can you think of that have position and influence? but don't have Hesed. They don't even value it. Most of what they do is for their own gain or to win over a political party or to win over a group of people. Gandhi says this, the day the power of love overrules the love of power, the world will know peace. We have too many people that love their position of power more than they love Hasid. In Hesed there is true power. The power that the world needs. Ruth partners with God in chapter one. She commits to God's hesit, to his loving kindness, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness, his patience, his gentleness, his kindness. We long for friends like this, for coworkers, for spouses, for bosses, for children and communities that have these characteristics. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, many of those designations, most of, many of those characteristics might remind you of 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter of the Bible. It also sounds like Galatians 5, and the fruit of the Spirit. This is the work of God in your life. It does not come from within, but it comes from above. It is something that only God can create within you. The reality is, is we can't produce this, Hesed. We have to partner with it. It's like having a dead car battery. All the potential is there. But until you partner with somebody who actually has the power, you're not going to go anywhere. All right, hear me out on this. Now, this may sound blasphemous to some of you. God needs you. You have something that God does not. God is full of Hesed. He's longing to pour it out into the world that the world might be healed. But without you, the world around us cannot see, feel, or experience Hesed the way God intends. It's like fuel without a fuel tank. No matter how much fuel you have, It's not doing any good unless it's housed in something and used for a specific purpose. 1 Corinthians 3.16 You know that you are God's house, Paul writes. The Spirit of God lives in you. Hesed needs a home. What do you have that God needs? God is telling us he needs a vessel, a home, Someone who will allow his Hesed to live within them and flow through them to a world in need. Carolyn Custis James, she writes a great book, Finding God in the Margins, highly encourage it, writes this. Two parties are involved in Hesed. Someone in desperate need and a second person who possesses the power and the resources to make a difference. Hesed is driven by a loyal, selfless love that motivates a person to voluntarily do what no one has the right to expect or ask of them. It's actually the kind of love we find most fully expressed in Jesus. In a nutshell, she writes, "Hesed is the gospel lived out. You have position, the ability to live it out. You and I are in this world, this community, this specific family, in a job, in a school, in a way that Jesus currently is not. When we partner with God, His power, His Hesed, His spirit takes up residence inside of us. And that changes everything. Michael Card writes a book called Inexpressible. His, the sole topic of the book is Hesed. He defines Hesed this way. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. For Hesed to exist, you need a person who is full of Hesed. For a person to be full of Hesed, they have to be partnered with a God who is Hesed. Ruth is an image of God's chesed, the embodiment of God's Hesed. But Hesed needs a chayil, a person with position. And it only fulfills its purpose when it moves from one person to another. That's why in week one, we prayed, God infect me with Hesed. Now, over the past couple of weeks, John has mentioned that Boaz was a good man. A good man that needed a nudge to become a great man. Without Christ, we are like Boaz. We're comfortable, we're secure, we have influence. But we'll never change the world. We have influence in our schools, at our work, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families. Even if you feel like you have no voice, you have people that you influence. But to see those areas of our lives transformed... We have to partner with Jesus's Hesed, or else Hesed will remain impersonal and inactive. Jesus says, let your light shine before men so that they may glorify God in heaven. In another writing, he says, all people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. We don't do Hesed for Hesed's sake. We do Hesed to glorify God, to make Him known and to draw all people to God's chesed. This is only possible when we partner our position with God's power, with his chesed. We can't produce chesed. We have to partner with it. We're called to do good works, to care for widows, the orphans, the foreigner, to love our enemies, but it'll never transform the world unless it's partnered with God's chesed for the world. Acts 1, Jesus tells us, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, when it lives inside of you. Then you will be my witnesses in the city, in the neighborhoods, in the bad parts of town, and even to the ends of the earth. We are witnesses. A witness has position of influence. And our unique call as Jesus followers is to give witness to the incredible hessed of Jesus the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing, and yet he gives me everything. Will you give Hesed a home? Will you partner your position with God's power to transform this world? Let's pray. God, we ask that you would make us a home for Hesed. Stir within us, fill us with your spirit, That your chesed, your goodness might flow out of us and heal the world around us. May we be your witnesses to all that you have done, all that you have given. May we become chesed leaders for you. In Jesus name, amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Look forward to seeing you next week.